Sullivan testing the Portuguese. You know, I like to be fit and healthy, so the best way I know is to just get out there and run. Running was an outlet for me to, I guess, feel good about myself and, and take out some of the angers that were going on in my life. Sonny O'Sullivan is going to take the world title back to Ireland. 11,000 athletes, 49% of those female competitors, 33 sports, 339 events, 42 venues, 20,000 COVID tests per day, 5,000 medals, and zero spectators, apparently, in the venues. It's here, after one false start and two years of preparation, the Olympics are finally kicking off in Tokyo today on Irishman Running Abroad. We take a look at the Irish that will be running abroad for Team Ireland. With the help of my coach and yours, the Irish athletics legend Sonia O'Sullivan, we will take a look at the track events she's most excited about, who to watch and what the elite running community are talking about in the lead up to these games. Our chosen charity partner is Jigsaw.ie. Every month or so, we host a club event in aid of the National Centre for Youth Mental Health. But this month's one is a little bit different and a little bit special as it's in person. Yes, Sonia and myself are back in Ireland. If you are around on August 8th and fancy coming for a light run with us in Dublin, you can get all the details by joining our Strava Running Club, strava.com forward slash clubs forward slash Irishman running abroad. Sonia, how good is it to be home? Oh, it's great. You know, it's always good to get back and to reconnect with um, all your favorite places again. Running wise, I suppose, you know, you're, there's always things you want to reconnect with. And um, I've managed a few of them in the past week out around Fota Island. It's been really nice, as always. And then I was up in Dublin over the weekend and got to run out along Sandy Mountain, Rings End Park, um, Sean Moore Park, which whenever I mention that to anyone, they say, where's that? And <laughs> but it's lovely. It's it's just down by the sea. And, you know, it, it opens up when you run out along the path there, heading out for the, you know, the two big towers out towards mm. the, is it the North Wall or the South Wall? I always get them mixed up. I, know, I don't one. know. I'm, I'm not. People always <laughs> think be, I'm a Dublin and, person, but I really don't know anything. I don't know enough <laughs> about Dublin to be able to correct you on that one. But it is. It is. I know what you mean. But it is gorgeous. It spreads out there, and there is. There's a difference in the quality of air, even in Dublin air. Do you feel that that when you get back, that you must have been exhausted first of all, and then just that sense of ah, oh, the letdown, a little bit of a breath out. There normally is change of air, but when it's so hot as it has been recently, it can be a bit humid and stifling. You know, it's yeah, it, it, it's not much different to where I came from. I was I was surprised, you know, I was sweating so much out there on the run. That, um, yeah, they, you know, I, this has been the big topic of conversation, hasn't it? For the last seven days, for those of you that haven't got relations back in Ireland or people, you know, in Ireland, all they've been talking about is this heat. And it was only when I got here that I realized this is not normal. Like this is not, <laughs> I, I fully get it because this heat was, it was mad. Like I did get up mad early uh, on Sunday for the long Sunday run, which, you know, caused consternation in the house because I woke the whole place up getting out the door for the Sunday run, which raises the question, Sonia about the etiquette of getting up for the early run. Have you have you ever run into this, that 
people in the house going mad because you made too much noise getting out the door for the run because I certainly was hauled over the coals for this that I essentially put the whole house <laughs> in bad form through not not being ninja like enough getting out the door. Oh well you you have to be prepared, you know, and that's always the thing for me is you, you always, you know, have your have your gear ready the night before so you don't have to be rustling around in the drawers looking for stuff. You might leave your toothbrush, you know, in the in the bathroom that's furthest away from the bedrooms <laughs> and uh, and your shoes, of course, by the door. And, um, you know, it, it, I suppose I have experience going out on the bike as well. And that's a lot more tricky to get out quietly because there's just so much stuff that you need when you go on the bike. Um, but when you go for a run, it should be easy enough to sneak out as long as you know be. in your head the night before that you're going to do it. You should even be able to do it without without telling anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Neil Fusco was in touch saying that I've been there. He said once I was almost out the door, but the click of the lock of the house woke the baby. And I mean, that's that's the thing. We've no babies in the house uh, anymore. <laughs> but I mean, it is just it's nearly it's nearly worse waking up a grown person. Now, I may have made the mistake of tapping teen on the shoulder. <laughs> At 5.30 in the morning saying, I'm going going for a run, (laughs) which was a huge miscalculation. But, uh, you know, the the wider issue of sleep is one we haven't talked about. But uh, I guess there isn't a huge issue to talk about. You were saying to me before we hit record that you think the sweet spot is eight hours sleep and that you're not one of these people, the Damien Duffs of this world, who are grabbing naps all over the shop Uh, is that the same for elite athletes that they're like no this is my routine eight hours is what i need and if i miss the eighth hour i need to catch it somewhere else i think you know when i was i suppose competing eight hours was the fairly standard you know average that everybody would be happy with but nowadays i do hear people talking about nine and ten hours of sleep and and then also having a nap in the afternoon and I was even talking to Robert Heffernan about this yesterday. We were driving down from Dublin and um, he was he was amazed that I didn't ever really take a nap, you know, in the afternoons. Because I was saying how a lot of the athletes now, they're obsessed with taking a nap, you know, every day. Not just session days and long run days, but every day. But, you know, I, I'm with that's, just wa- that's just wasting so much time. You know? No, 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 <laughs> no. I am so with them 100%. so much living to be doing out there. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm with them 100%. I mean, I was a big napper in university. <laughs> People I had a reputation for. Where's Jargon? <laughs> He's probably gone for his nap. Because I just felt <laughs> like I wasn't a different, I was a different human being if I had that hour. I remember being found under desks having a nap. <laughs> If I could find a room where I could close my eyes, I would fall asleep. But that's the other thing. There are plenty of people that just can't do the nap. Would you be one of them that just wake yeah, up? Yeah, no, cranky? not in the daytime. I'm just not, well, I just, when if I lie down and I might lie down and read a book every now and then, but even that's hard to do, you know, I'd have to have a really good book now to, to do that. I'm just always thinking there's other things I could be doing, you know, like physical things. I have to be active and up and doing stuff. I rarely sit down in the daytime. And when I do, you know, I kind of have to time it. I give myself an hour. Okay, you can sit here for an hour now. (laughs) It's like a timeout. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, speaking of books, I did. I have found a great uh, new book for our book club. We'll get to that later in the show. We'll also have Sonia's tip of the week. We'll have your letters, as always. I myself am in mail, self-isolating out of an abundance of caution, and the runs have been great out here along the coast roads and the Greenway. Big shout out to everybody in Mulrani who's been so nice to me. Uh, I'm not used to it, though, Sonia. I, I feel like I, I'm a city slicker. Because the things that you'd expect are sheep, right? You expect a certain amount of sheep on the roads. But these sheep are, they're aggressive in, in a manner that I wasn't expecting. Like, is this, like, you tell me if this is normal, that when you run up on a sheep, does the sheep stand its ground and go, what? Like, they, they're like Dublin sheep. They're like, what? What are you looking at? Um, <laughs> And I'm like, I don't know what to do. My heart rate goes way up and then I have to give them a wide berth. And Tina, Tina's just like, there's no way. This is not possible that you who grew up on the Curra are afraid of sheep. But I have to say, the rams around here are looking for a fight, stamping the foot, you know, eyeballing me as I go by. Is this a cork thing as well? Does this happen? In, or is there many sheep around Cove that'll do this to you? I don't know if there's any sheep in Cove. <laughs> there's a few out there. They're definitely not roaming the streets. <laughs> um, there's a few There's a few out the back of the island now, but they tend to be in, in contained in fields. I've, there's no roaming sheep in Cove or in Cork, I don't believe. They're very civilised down here with the sheep. Um, <laughs> keep, them behind, keep them behind lock gates, you know. <laughs> well, do you see, this may be part of it, Sonia, that these sheep have been put in fields, but such is their nature that they're like, fuck that, I won't be shackled in a, in a field. They're now out roaming the streets, terrorising runners like me. <laughs> Later on, we will talk about how you can quickly find your running rhythm and roots when everything gets thrown up in the air and you find yourself somewhere strange on staycation or a holiday out foreign. Uh, Sonia will give you a few tips as to, well, how do you find the routes? How do you find the way to go? And what's the best way to reestablish your routine? But let's get straight into it, Sonia, with the Olympics. You're covering the games for RTE, but there has to be uh, events that you particularly have your eye on and that you're most excited about for this Games. Yeah, well, we're starting off on Friday with the athletics. And um, I suppose in a way for me, it, it doesn't feel like the Olympics really begin until until the athletics get going. Even though the past few days I have found that if I wake up at two or three in the morning, there's something in the back of my mind telling me that there's something going on at the Olympics and maybe I should turn on the RTE player and check yeah. <laughs> what's on with the iPad. You know, it's one of those things that you kind of feel like you're missing out, you know, with it all going on or a lot of the events going on in the night um, over in Tokyo. But some of the events in the athletics will be live in the daytime. I think between 11 and 2, we're going to be covering it uh, most days starting on Friday. And then we'll have a review program in the afternoon. And that's when we'll go through things that happened overnight and just to help people to catch up because not everybody will be getting up in the middle of the night watching the events or will be able to. But it, it is quite good fun when you do wake up and catch an event live. Like there's nothing like watching live sport. Like last night, I don't know what time it was. It was around three or four in the morning. And um, there was a men's four by 100 meters swimming race. And it was a It was a brilliant race. Like 
here I am like lying in bed watching the swimming race and I was amazed the cameras were fantastic because normally with swimming you can't really see the swimmers but they had mm. a great camera underneath the swimmers so it was kind of looking at them face on and it was a, it was a pretty good angle to be watching the swimming and um, it was a great race between the Americans and the Italians and the Australians I think came up for third after being way out of it and then of course you get all adrenaline starts rising and the excitement and then before you know it you're wide awake and it's a big mistake to start watching the the olympics in the middle of the night i know they hop around then from sport to sport i know i know so i'll have to like watch myself now next week because you know you like to be wide awake when you're commenting on the olympics and you know on sports and you know paying attention and it's very easy to get distracted there's so much at the moment you know online social media that you start going into this kind of tunnel of stuff and you just can't stop yourself seeing what you know what else what else what did I miss what did I miss and you're just trying to catch up on everything mm-hmm. um, but I think yeah I'd probably be a bit more focused in when the athletics gets going and it gets off pretty quickly with the women's 800 meters first round and we have three Irish girls in there on Friday Shiafra, Clary Butner, Nadia Power and Louise Shanahan. So that's great, you know, to have a full capacity Irish athletes in that event. And then Thomas Barr also kicks off his um, Olympics with the first round of the 400 metre hurdles. And that's one of the most competitive races in the Olympics, the men's 400 metre hurdles. So, um, yeah, no, it really gets going and into the action pretty quickly. Well, let me ask you really quick there about the girls first. Um, I mean, someone raised this. Uh, I can't remember where I heard this, that Irish sports viewers definitely need to bear in mind that for a lot of these athletes, the you know, the medal isn't necessarily the goal and that we can still cheer on these athletes who are going for their PBs and are building to maybe the next Olympics and still get into the excitement of that. For those girls that you mentioned, are they medal contenders or what would you imagine is the the big goal for them this year? So in the women's 800, I mean, I think we'll know a lot more when the heats are announced because then you can see you know what they're up against and what they have to do to qualify and the 800 meters would definitely be one of the tougher events to get out of the rounds and even into the semi-finals so I think if any of the Irish girls make it out of the first round then that would be a big achievement to do that so it'll be one race at a time and then you know just to see how they get along but yeah no, I mean there's 118 Irish athletes competing all together across all the sports and um, it, it just means that there's going to be somebody from Ireland competing every day and so there's always some interest for the Irish public you know to to tune into and um, you know there will be surprises both positive and negative throughout the games and so I think you just have to keep watching and cheering and supporting and, and you know we'll, a lot of young athletes particularly on the the track and field team so a lot of them will be gaining a lot of experience and hopefully you know we'll see them back again in the future as well it's a tough one at this point right in terms of this games because it it does have this weird vibe to it and you can nearly feel the media struggling to grapple with what are the storylines like what are the 
what are the real human interest pieces and who's going to emerge and part of that is first of all that there's this big pushback against the games even taking place and I can't be the only one who watched the opening ceremony and was a bit like what is the point of this like why are we doing this obviously it was all beautiful and all the rest but surely this didn't need to happen and I'd imagine that that's the weirdness that's taking place do you notice this thing that I'm talking about here the sense that they the media is struggling to get by the protests the suggestion that the game shouldn't be taking place and that this is just a huge super spreader event and that there's a little there must be a feeling among the athletics community that like look it's happening get over it now let's get on with it yeah i mean i think everybody is just focused on what they're trying to do and you know you can't really be distracted by the protests and different things that are going on but because i hear stories that equally as much as there's protesters making noise there's also a lot of people turning up at venues and out on the streets supporting the athletes and just being there in the background. I saw somebody post, you know, this thing where a lot of the Japanese people, they just go out on the streets every day and watch the athletes going by to wherever they're going to get to their competition venues. And they're just all dressed up and have little posters and banners and all very supportive and encouraging. And so I think a lot of those, you know, positive stories and positive I suppose, feelings in Japan are not being expressed as much. I think the media always looks for a negative angle when it comes to big events like this, and particularly the Olympics. You know, going into the Olympics before the action gets started, they're always, it's kind of quiet time for most sports. So there's always people just looking for any kind of story or angle to get some kind of attention. But that stuff gets buried very quickly once the events start going. Yeah, and I, I'm very excited for Friday as well. I have to say, even if it does mean getting up and uh, sacrificing the sleep that we mentioned at the top, I'm <laughs> super excited to see Aoife Cook take part in the marathon. Now, you obviously were out with Aoife in Utah and got to go for a run with her, as we mentioned a couple episodes ago. Uh, what's the sense that you got from her about her prospects? I think she's just very excited to be going to the Olympics and and you've got a bit of time to wait for that. That's on, I think, the 7th of August is the women's marathon. So Aoife is heading off pretty soon. I see she was having some sushi there recently to get herself acclimatized to the the food Mm. she may be facing out there in Japan. But the women's marathon, I mean, both marathons, I mean, it's impossible to predict how it's going to go for anybody because the conditions will be very, very tough. Um, I mean, we're talking about the heat and the humidity in Ireland. I mean, it'll be about 10 times that in Japan, you know, just what they will have to deal with. And there'll be no relief at all in the daytime. You know, we're about to get some relief here now this week uh, with the thunderstorms that are rolling in. And mind you, there is a typhoon going through Tokyo this week. So that may, you know, I suppose, what do you clear the air and uh, yeah. freshen it up again? But I think the humidity is very difficult to deal with in Japan. And, you know, for running that distance, a lot of athletes, they'll have prepared well for it, but they won't have experienced it for the full marathon distance. So, you know, people will react differently to it and a lot of them will be going into the unknown, really. And uh, Aoife included, you know. Um, But she's done some great training and really looking forward to getting out there. And, you know, I think she thinks she's in, you know, as good a shape as she's ever been. I would love to see some surprises thrown up. And I'd imagine 
they, those surprises might come from athletes based closer to the event, like clo who live closer to Tokyo. One such athlete is friend of the show, Sinead Diver. What's the talk around the Australian team specifically? I know Jessica Hull is one of your athletes. What's the what's the sense there? Does it put them at an advantage being that bit closer, not having to do a massive amount of travel and feeling, I guess, a bit more used to that, you know, weather that you mentioned? Well, the marathon runners um, and I mean, most of the team is probably in Australia and moving, going straight up. And then I think it's just one or two hours time difference. And they'd be very used to traveling to Japan for road races and marathons mm. in the past. So and they do that without, you know, worrying about any time difference. You know, it's like flying to Europe for us, uh, like to, to mainland Europe. So, yeah, that definitely is a big advantage for them. I mean, the one disadvantage is that a lot of them are coming from winter in Australia. So they will have a bigger adaptation when they get there. Um, now, I know the marathon runners have been up in Kearns in far north Queensland training. And, you know, it's been hot up there, but not summer hot. So they have been preparing for the heat and they won't have to worry too much about the, the time difference. So that will definitely be an advantage for them. And, you know, from what I hear, they're all training at, you know, as well as they've ever been. So that, that thing I mentioned at the top of the show about what is the chat within the running community? Obviously, you'd be privy to a lot more discussions around what, what are the real stories within the training camps and what you're hearing on the grapevine? Is there such a thing or is it a case of pretty much the stories are the stories? Everybody's hearing the same things, because as when it comes to the marathon, obviously the super shoes was a topic that we covered quite a bit here. There has to be other topics and other athletes specifically that the elite running community are going, hmm, I wonder how Sydney McLaughlin's going to do. I wonder how Noah, Noah Lyles is going to do or Alison Felix. Like, are, are those names coming up? Do these chats take place? Uh, not really, no. <laughs> it would be more outside of the athletic community, more within the media and with the fans. And like even like this past weekend, like since Thursday, the Irish Olympic Federation had this tour that was going around Ireland and it was a an Olympic family tour. So what they were doing was um, in Cork and in Galway, Belfast and Dublin yesterday, inviting the families of Irish athletes to come to an event. And it was a very low-key, small event, you know, because of all the different protocols and everything. But just to bring them together and, you know, show them, I suppose, that we care to you know, bring them into the Olympic family and the Olympic community because most of them would normally have travelled to Tokyo for the Olympics and they're missing out mm -hmm. on that experience. So yeah. for them to be able to come together and, you know, a lot of the parents would meet each other and, you know, you'd have new friends and people to hang out with when you're travelling. And so they miss out on all that now this year. And so... You could feel the excitement building there when we got together in Cork. It was it was fairly tame now in Cork, to be fair, um, because I think it was just kicking off and people didn't know what to expect or how to react with each other. 
Um, but the momentum was finally built up to a nearly crescendo yesterday in Dublin when we had families of the rugby team, rugby sevens team, of the hockey team, um, a number of the athletes' parents were there from track and field. And, and it was brilliant, you know, just to see them all there. And they were so excited that it gave you a real sense of what it means to people's families, you know, when their children go to the Olympics, when they qualify for the Olympics. And, you know, it's not all about the winning and, you know, getting medals. Like, that's a bonus, I think, if it happens. It's more about the fact of everything it takes to qualify to get onto the Irish team, to go to the Olympics, and then all the challenges that they face this year to, you know, actually get there and to you know, be, be ready to compete in Tokyo. So that was that was brilliant. And it, it was just another level of, I suppose, the norm, normalcy of the Olympics and the, the people who qualify and go to the Olympics that, you know, anybody can do this if they put their mind to it. Um, Let but me then ask it you this question. So- yeah, he, yeah, no, 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 hundred, sorry for cutting across you there. I should say to the listeners, it's the first time we've recorded an episode in the same country in a long time. And yet there's a three second delay on our line <laughs> that we're managing very carefully. <clears throat> but you're right. I mean, it's the Olympian status. It's unlike, while it is very similar to the world championships, you know, it, it is the status of you are now a, an Olympian in the same way as when somebody becomes an Oscar nominated actor that can never be taken away. Those words always precede your name from that day forward. But let me ask you this before we go to our break. Will this Olympics have an asterisk next to it in terms of those that win? Will it be a bit like the NBA championship that was decided in a bubble where it's like, yeah, you won the championship, but was that really what it would be like to win a championship in front of a mob of people under those circumstances. Is there going to be a brackets around any of the achievements that take place at this Games? There shouldn't be. I mean, unless for some reason some, you know, favourite tests positive and then isn't allowed to compete, you know, and, so, you know, if someone, one of the best athletes in the world isn't allowed to run because they test positive for COVID, like that would be the only reason why they'd be kind of, Oh well, they were, you know, not allowed to run. They were fit enough to run, but because of, you know, a medical test, they weren't allowed to run. But I, I mean, I listened to Mona McSherry, who qualified for the final of the hundred meter breaststroke there, overnight, and you know, she said it's just like you know going to any other competition, really, because once you're in that zone and you're in your kind of competition arena, you're just so focused on that that the fans and the crowds, that's just an added extra that, you know, you have to deal with that as well when it's there. And when it's not there, it's one less thing to have to deal with. And now you're just going out there and you're just swimming or running or whatever you're doing as fast as you can on on that day. So you just, I mean, athletes, they're always in their own little bubbles. Now they're in an obvious bubble of, you know, non-contact bubble with people but no I don't I don't think from a you know earning a medal perspective that and it will be any less competitive to do it if anything it mm. will be more competitive and it'll be harder I suppose that, that, that there probably will be some athletes missing along the way for one reason or another but most athletes will be there 
and most will be prepared uh, as well as, you know, if it was a normal Olympics. Well, we're about to go to our break here where uh, every single week we uh, give you another 30 minutes of uh, content, tips, advice from Sonia and of course more breakdown on the upcoming Olympics. We also give you illustrated episode notes if you want to come over and join us on Patreon. Premium members get access to the full back catalogue of all of our conversations across the last eight years with the greatest Irish people ever to have left our shores. For the price of a coffee, you can sign up. A couple of clicks later, it all populates in your podcast app. But before we go over to that second half and say goodbye to our listeners on iTunes and SoundCloud, Sonia, it's time for your tip of the week. Tip of the week, 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 tip of the week. It's Sonia's tip of the week. But I think you mentioned this tip of the week to me last week and we never got to it. Uh, break things down into manageable chunks, I think was the thing, yeah. bite-sized chunks. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, we often are faced with a challenge and we, you know, we set the challenge for ourselves and then you line up to do it. And it seems that it's nearly unachievable. You think, oh, my God, it's, it sounded like a good idea at the time. <laughs> How am I going to manage this now? And, you know, it can be sometimes it can be a training session or like a that you're given to do. And it looks very difficult on paper. But then when you break it down, it's actually not that bad at all. So I think the key is to break it down into small pieces. And I was thinking about this myself when I was doing my last track session at Park City last week before I came back and I was doing four times 1,000 metres which on paper didn't look too bad but one was one was kind of at threshold pace and one was it was kind of out of my comfort zone it was it was faster than four minutes which you know there was a time when that was my normal daily run but now that is a challenge to do and when you're doing it at 2,000 metres altitude it was even harder so I was breaking it down in my head that, OK, there's only two really hard efforts here now and the other two mm. are just very manageable cruising. And I think it's like you're doing a bargaining thing in your head to break it down, to make yourself think that it's very achievable. And, you know, then you break it down into the small pieces of, OK, we do one lap and then there's only 600 metres to go and then there's another lap and then it's 200 metres. And, you know, then I think when you hit the mark on the first one, then you realize, okay, I've got just got to do this one more time now. And so I think I'm always breaking things down into smaller pieces. And like the girls were doing hills one day and it was, I think they were doing 200 meter hills, which sometimes they do 30 second hills and sometimes 200 meters. And a 200 meter hill is a hell of a lot longer than a 30 second hill because <laughs> it goes on forever. <laughs> and I was trying to say, to them, you know, you have to break it into three pieces. So you do the start, you start, everybody starts out fast and then there's the middle section. So you'll pick like a tree or, or something along the way that, okay, I'll get to this point and then I need to reset and then I've got to maintain as best I can. And then there's the last bit and that's where you have to finish strong. And I was kind of, would always place myself in the section where you finish strong. And I remember I was up there one day with um, Jordan Hasse and I said, OK, this is it. This is the last bit now. You can really dig in deep here, this last bit. And she said, she goes, it's a long last bit. <laughs> <laughs> she said, you should try it. 
yeah i mean so it is such session, a good piece of advice yeah go ahead yes yeah, so you break it down but when the session was done and um so i went down to the bottom of the hill and i said right i'm going to do this and it was the one minute it was the, the 200 meter hill and i broke it down and right when I, there was like a white stone on the ground right where i said okay this is the last bit you can really go for it now and i got to that point and i couldn't go anymore i had to stop <laughs> so <it> was, <laughs> amazing I, it was just the hardest thing ever. And so I stopped for about 15 seconds and then I got going again. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that you put your money where your mouth was and that, uh, you know, so many coaches are screaming and shouting at people to go and do stuff. I love that Jordan said, you do it then. <laughs> and you had to do yeah. it. Uh, and equally, but it's amazing how, you, when you, how you can, like when you do something like that, then you understand it even greater because... As much as I would understand and be able to break things down, until you actually do something, you know, you don't really know what it feels like. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, like I love hearing the stories from the training camp and I'm excited to hear what happens next. I know that you're when you head back over there, the big track meet is the Prefontaine track meet. And we talked about pre on the show in one of our earliest episodes, this legendary US athlete. It's it's exciting to hear, Sonia, what the next chapter is in terms of this coaching side of things, because everything I read and every conversation I hear you having is how much, uh, you know, this is kind of opening up to you and this sense that, uh, you know, passing on this information and this expertise is uh, something that you didn't see in your future, but it's it, it's it's largely become that way. Uh, I'm delighted to be part of the journey. And of course, all of you guys listening can come along as well as we continue the podcast through the year and post Olympics. But for now, we'll say goodbye to our listeners on iTunes and SoundCloud and welcome you over. Maybe this is the week because we're about to get into some other Irish athletes, including Brendan Boyce, Ailish Flanagan, of course, the Belfast fast men Stephen Scullion Kevin Seward and Paul Pollock will be talking about them and uh, that athlete I mentioned Alison Felix I'll also be chatting to Sonia about my own training which uh, I think anybody can relate to the journey that I've been on the past year so come on over to patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad to hear the rest of the chat One of the keys to like maintaining your brain mass is pushing past that comfortable zone physically, you know, exercise-wise. Imagine, you know, a world where everybody could go out the door and engage in the kind of exercise that's going to make them more relaxed, more healthy, burn off stress, 